White Rocket Entertainment. White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 443. Is the world more peaceful since the revolution? It is a shame that your people suffered. Hunting is a complicated profession. They said you were coming. They said you were the best in the Parsec. Would you agree? White Rocket Podcast, brought to you by White Rocket Entertainment, along with all of our great friends and supporters via Patreon.com. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and in this special episode of White Rocket, we're going to look at a phenomenon that is sweeping the galaxy far, far away currently, and that would be The Mandalorian, the recently concluded uh, Disney Plus series about a, it's not Boba Fett, but it looks kind of like Boba Fett and a certain other little small character that everybody loves. And joining me to spend a little time exploring this really cool new show is old friend of the show, Alan J. Porter. Welcome aboard, Alan. Thank you, Van. I'm looking forward to this. It should be uh, different than our normal conversations, but I think it should be, as usual, a fun a fun chat. Absolutely. I know we, we've we been, for those that only listen to the White Rocket show or the Wishbone show, Alan and I uh, regularly, once a month, review a James Bond movie. So if you're interested in that and you didn't know, go over to secretpodcast.podbean.com or just look for Secret Podcast on iTunes. It's On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast is the full name of the show, but that won't fit in iTunes. And um, on that, uh, basically, its own network, its own channel, um, we have a whole crew of people that that uh, talk about James Bond music and movies and everything. And Alan and I have been doing one Bond movie a month for quite a while now. We're up to what, Alan? Like number 23 next, I believe? Uh, yeah. No, 
It's amazing. Yes, number 23. Jeez, yeah, you're right. We've been doing it for almost, well, we've been doing it for two years. Two years. And, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So we're up to Skyfall and then we'll do Spectre. And then in April, we'll get the 25th, the brand new uh, No Time to Kill the Die Must Cast is All in Time to Die, right? Something like that. I, yeah, I think that's close. Something yeah. like that. Yes. <laughs> it's they're bringing back the Pierce Brosnan titles, which I'm not entirely uh, sad about. So, but uh, in the meantime, we're here to talk about The Mandalorian. And uh, this is a series. Alan, I want to get your reaction, but first I'll tell you real quick, this is a series I was looking forward to from the first second that I heard that Disney Plus was coming, and when I heard that they were going to do a show with Jon Favreau writing it, producing it, directing it, whatever, called The Mandalorian, my first thought was, at last, a Boba Fett show. I wanted a Boba Fett movie or a Boba Fett uh, TV show forever, and I've waited years and years and years and years, and I never really got one. And then, oh, well, we kind of got him in the prequels, but no, no, he was just a little kid, and that was just, he was a clone, but it was very confusing, and beside the armor was blue and gray, and it, I just, that didn't do it for me. I wanted a Boba Fett show. Well, this show came around, and I started hearing rumors, well, it's not really Boba Fett. It's a Mandalorian, but it's not Boba Fett. And I'm like, oh, come on. Come on. Well, I'm still going to give it a chance, though. I'm still going to give it a chance. And that leads us up to the premiere, which we're going to talk about it in all the other episodes. So, Alan, what was your thought process about this whole property, this whole idea, the way I just described mine, leading up to the moment you first saw it? Well, you're probably going to hate me for this, but to be honest, I couldn't give a monkey's about Bob Buffett. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, ne- it's never been a character that's caught me um you know he, he got eaten gee whiz um no connection really with him at all in the star mm-hmm. wars um pantheon not i i never really understood the attraction of why that one character was so liked by the fans. i will i will explain me. but go ahead <laughs> um i would say probably and to be honest i didn't even know he was a mandalorian until hmm. probably three years ago when we were at um Jill and I, Jill, my wife, and I were at a comics convention, and we ended up across the aisle from a troop of Mandalorians, of guys oh. in variety of, and I'm like, well, they look a bit like Boba Fett, and so we got talking to them, and they explained who the Mandalorians were, and they, he's, and Jill sort of really connected with them, and they, they basically spent the whole um, convention hanging around our table, or we were hanging around theirs, <laughs> and we went, went out went for drinks with them, we went drinking with the Mandalorians and stuff. So Awesome. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. So when wow. I heard that, um, you I'm know, so with the Disney Plus that uh, they were doing a, a show called The Mandalorian, I'm like, I know what that is. Um, <laughs> I get that reference. I know what a Mandalorian <laughs> is. They're, they're good drinking buddies. Yeah. Um, but um, and the fact that it was John Favreau, um, you know, involved was 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 cool. And then when they they did the first trailer um, and they, you know that came online after they showed it. I was like, yeah, this this looks like it's going to be pretty interesting. And the more I heard about it, the more I was sort of psyched for it. Um, so yeah, like I said, you know, not not bothered about the Boba Fett um, side of side of things, but the idea of a series of tales around these band, this this, mm-hmm. um, this sex, the Mandalorians, was 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 pretty intriguing. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and the creative team behind it was definitely uh, made it uh, something I wanted to watch when it when it did. And I'm I'm glad I did for mm-hmm. reasons we will get into. That's right. Well, okay, so that's fair enough. Let me see if I can put my spin on on why. Because we, I mean, I know this is not Boba Fett, but it is a Mandalorian. And I know that in in universe, Boba Fett himself is technically not a Mandalorian. He's some guy who was a bounty hunter and acquired 
Mandalorian armor that clearly has seen better days, right? But he knows yeah. how to but he knows how to work it. But let me just quickly address that because I get that a lot. I love Boba Fett. I've got Boba Fett t-shirts. I got a Boba Fett statue on my wish list for my birthday. He's one of my favorite Star Wars related characters overall, absolutely. And here's the thing. When when Empire Strikes Back was first coming out, that was me in my peak prime Star Wars fandom. Okay. I saw I saw the original Star Wars in the theater three times when it came out. When it finally came to Sylacauga, Alabama, I finally got to see it. I saw it three times, which is two more than I'd seen anything else before or after for a long time. And so, you know, through 1978 and 1979, I was just becoming a bigger and bigger Star Wars fan, just an obnoxious Star Wars fan back in the late 70s. And then in 1980, um, we got word that the sequel was coming and they announced that there was this guy named Boba Fett and they had an early release action figure of him. And you had to send in box tops from breakfast cereal and he'd, they'd send him to you. And like the first ones that went out actually had a little rocket that fired and it choked some <laughs> child who died. And <laughs> yeah. so they recalled them and they, yeah. So I yeah. got mine. Mine came in a little box about a quarter the size of a toothpaste box, tube box. And I remember opening that little white box and getting my Boba Fett out, and that was the coolest thing I ever got in the mail in my childhood. And I played with Boba Fett all the time. So when people say he never did anything, he was barely on screen, why would anybody like him? You have to understand, he was on my screen for months before I ever saw The Empire Strikes Back. I had so many adventures with Boba Fett on my own before he ever appeared anywhere on real and you know on the on film that I had already made him a great character. And that's what I love is what he meant to me as a possibility, right? I mean, you know me, I'm the king of the weird non sequitur uh, metaphors, but it's like when um, it's like in the in 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 Burns's documentary about uh, about the Louisiana Purchase. He says that the West was a blank slate and it was the future and it was whatever we chose to write upon it. And that's how Boba Fett was to me. He was a blank slate. He was a guy in really cool armor. I was a huge Iron Man fan, so here was another guy in a suit of armor. But he could be anything I wanted him to be. So, yeah, my big disappointment was that in Empire Strikes Back, he only did a couple of things and he was mean to Han Solo. I'm disappointed. But I'm like, oh, but Return of the Jedi is coming. He's going to kick butt in that. No, obviously he does two things, <laughs> yeah. Boba Fett, where? And he falls and gets eaten. And I'm sitting there in the theater with my mouth hanging open going, when is he going to triumphantly erupt from the monster and cut his way out and blast everybody? Come on, Boba Fett, get up, get up, Boba Fett, get up, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, in the movies, he's a disappointment. If that's all you're going by, I totally get it. But there's this whole world of Boba Fett inside my childhood imagination that's so much better than that. And that's why I love him. And so that's why when this show was coming along, I was so excited about it, was to see a character that maybe might actually do some of the things I imagined him doing decades ago. And he does. He does. All right. So, so yeah, we, I, give, yes. given that, I, I, to I totally get that. I mean, I've got mm -hmm. similar things in my childhood. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I completely, completely get that about, uh, you know, build, building up something before you see it on screen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally. So, I, I adore him. I yeah. It was a bit, bit like me with Bond. Um, so, yeah. I, yeah. I, we've talked about that. That's cool. That's right. Yeah. So so, the, so it comes along, and I was like, you know, my wife is like, well, are we going to get Disney Plus? Is it worth it? Whatever. Like, it's got the Mandalorian on it. I'll pay any price. So, but fortunately, we, <laughs> we're, we're getting it for free through her Verizon account. We're getting it for a year, and then we'll have to start paying. That's fine. But um, 
that first episode came out and we got and I don't let me have to roll the I had to roll up some cheat sheets here. Yeah, the chapter one was the Mandalorian, and um, this this is oh yeah he meets cool. I can't the the the, the uh, he's an Ugnaught. It didn't dawn on me until the last episode he was in that his little buddy on that planet is that on that's not Tatooine is it or is it? I get what, so the, conf- the, the first episode the, when he meets cool who rides the big lizard dudes. Right, yeah. Is that Tatooine? Yeah. There were some planets that looked like that was, Tatooine, and there were some that are. There was one that was Tatooine, but yeah. no, this wasn't. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. They all kind of look the same. They all look like Tunisia, because <laughs> they are. <laughs> so, okay. So, yeah, this is the one where he first encounters IG-11 and yep. fights and everything. And, and, and of course, what, what it, you know, we got the big reveal at the end. So I don't want to go necessarily episode by episode completely, but just kind of in, in, in terms of the various things that hit us through the series, we can talk about them a little bit. What did you think when you first saw that first episode? Did it meet your expectations? Did it exceed it? What was your kind of your reaction? Um, well, first off, it was the first, I mean, like the day Disney Plus came out and we like downloaded yeah. it and that was like we had to, that was the first thing we watched. I mean, yes. that was like of everything that was on Disney Plus, that was the first thing we had to watch as soon as, in fact, you know, um, I think I sort of installed it at lunchtime and I'm like texting Jill, like, get home, get home, get home. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Um, so, yeah, you know, we sat down at dinner and like, that's it. It's the first thing we had to watch. Um, to me, I loved it because it's got back to what Star Wars is and that Star Wars is a Western. Yeah, yes. Uh, um and something that I think they've lost sight of. And in this, it was like, I mean, this was clearly a Western. I mean, it would, you know, there was no, there was no hiding it. And in fact, the whole series has been a homage to samurai movies and Westerns. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I, I love that. I'm a huge fan of Westerns. Um, and, you know, I've, yeah. so, you know, pretty, pretty much that first one was the Wild Bunch um, mm. to a large extent. Um, and, and it was so obviously a Western. I was just like, yes, this is, this is awesome. I uh, love, love the new characters. Um, yeah, so uh, you know, IG Eleven, I thought was great. Um, there was, you know, a few things at the end of it. It's like didn't see that coming, and then of course we get the uh, the uh, <laughs> the reveal at the the reveal at the end. Um, yeah, so I think it just it just set up so many things nicely. It set set itself up. I mean, what is the timeline? It's going to be like twenty five years after. Um, it's five Return years after Jedi. Return of the Jedi and twenty five before uh before before Force yeah, before the Force Awakens. So yeah. yeah, it's sort of more firmly in the in the original trilogy era, which again I liked. Yes. Um, exactly. So yeah. Um I yeah, I thought it was it was very cool the way it set up the whole idea of the bounty hunters, how they, they track the they get the the targets, how they track them, and then the whole, you know, go, going out to the desert town, meeting cool, um, and then you know, it being very clearly the, uh, you know, the wild bunch type uh, Western at the end. I just love that. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I was like, at the end of the first episode, he's like, yep, this is it. This is what I wanted. <laughs> this is exactly, yeah. But that was what I was going to say, too, about, about Boba Fett versus The Mandalorian, is that I was disappointed that it wasn't going to be a character I already kind of knew until I watched it and I began to realize I'm getting, with this character, I'm getting everything I would have gotten from Boba Fett. I'm getting the look, the tech, the guy in a ship going out doing bounty hunter stuff, encountering Jawas and sand people and all that. I'm getting everything I would have gotten from a Boba Fett show and more because he's a better character 
than Boba Fett. He's younger. He's less cynical. He's more dedicated. He has a conscience. He's not a bad guy. He's kind of a gray guy, trending less gray, you know. I, In other words, he's giving me everything I would want in a Boba Fett and more. You know what I mean? It's, 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 a, I'm, it's, it's, it's a positive that it's not Boba Fett when I thought it was going to be a negative. I think it's a positive too because I think if it had that, they had used Boba Fett, it would have that character would have brought so much baggage with it. Yes, in well, terms of either <laughs> so much relative to how little screen time. <laughs> yeah, because there's been so much build up around him. Yeah, whether you, you know um, either you're on that while well, he was a waste of time camp, or like you, you built up this whole mythology mm-hmm. around him, or you know all the stuff from the extended universe things. That right. uh, yeah, he would have brought a lot of preconceptions with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just starting literally with a blank slate with with the. Uh, the, the new lead character was definitely the right way to do it. Yeah. Uh, and it is, you know, ver- I mean, you know, I just sort of name check one West and it's also, you know, he's very much the man with no name character, you know? So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And I hear people yeah. saying Wolf, Lone Wolf and Cub, which is not a comic I've ever read, but I get the sense just from the name alone of how that might be. Yeah. Once you get into the later chapters, particularly sort of chapters two and three, it's very much uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, mm. which is a, uh, um, if you don't want to read the comic, I highly recommend the Samurai, the, uh, the, the movie. Um, I didn't even know there was, was a movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. It's it, it's it's a lot. It's a well-established Japanese uh, myth folktale. So. Okay, I will check that out. I I just just happened across something funny. We're gonna work our way through a little bit, but I noticed in the in the last episode, I was I've been commenting on how much I enjoyed the two uh, bikers troopers, bike troopers, the you know the the speeder yeah, yeah, bike yeah. riders. Those were actually played by Adam Pally. And Jason Sudeikis, Sudeikis, however you pronounce his name, uh, who are both really funny actors that I enjoy their work. Adam Pally was on the Mindy Project, among other things, and Jason Sudeikis has been on everything. And they ha- so they actually had a couple of big time, you know, relatively big big name comedy guys under the armor. But we never see their faces or anything. But they actually had them brought in, and they said a bunch of uh, the five hundred first was brought in to play the stormtroopers. I was sitting there watching that, thinking. There's 8 million 501st troopers in the world. I hope they didn't go spend a billion dollars on brand new troopers just for this show when they could have just brought the 501st in. Well, no, they brought the 501st in. So well (laughs) played, Favreau. Well played. Good. Yeah, and talking to conventions like we were earlier, I mean, you can't go to any any convention without mm-hmm. there being somebody from the fight. You know, there's always a stormtrooper. Oh, yeah. yeah. Doesn't, Absolutely. Ma- doesn't matter the size of the convention. It can be a tiny convention. There's at least one stormtrooper. One stormtrooper. Yeah. Absolutely. I always yeah. used to say, when I first started going to Dragon Con, there were two costumes you saw everywhere you went, Klingons and stormtroopers. And it's vastly expanded beyond that now, but you still see. <laughs> Those are yeah. the two you still see everywhere. Yeah. So... Um, uh, IG, I want to say we got IG-11, and, and that's kind of the ushers in this whole deal that we're going to start seeing. Now, I know that some people deride it as fan service. I think of it as important cultural touchstones along the way that make it feel like we're in the Star Wars universe that we see an IG. I thought it was IG-88. How was I supposed to know there was more than one? Uh, you know, we're going to see sand people. We're going to see Jawas and the big sand crawler. We're going to see a moth. Let's you know. See. Oh yeah, we're going to see. Yeah, we see so many things. I was hundred and ten percent on board. I'm like, you know, as long as it's not pointless. If there's a if there's a story reason why something from previous Star Warses can be in here, I'm like, shovel it in, man. Make me feel like I'm watching Star Wars. 
What did yeah, you it's not it's it's not like those characters coming up and doing a you know pointless cameo. Um, it's it's keeping it consistent within that universe. I mean, you know, if if you if you're making droids, you're going to make thousands of them, millions of them. Mm. Um, you know, so you're going to, you know, that's that's like saying, you know, well, you can't have a, you know, a Ford Mondeo in it because we saw, you know, so and so drive a Ford Mondeo in another movie. <laughs> um, you know, it's like there's going to be there's going to be Fords. There's going to be, you know, if you set something in today's world and universe, you'd see the same cars, you'd see the same things in the background. You know, so. It, in that universe that's droids um so mm-hmm. yeah it, to me it makes perfect sense that you'd see ig units and you'd see r2 units and you'd see you know the other stuff um you'd see the, the speed of you know the, the bikes and the why not um that, that's that's the universe it's in it, it's gonna have that infrastructure i th- i thought in the first episode we just get you know a couple of little things we get the IG bounty hunter droid, and we get the child, obviously, at the very end. And I'm like, okay. But in the second episode, we get the Jawas and the Sandcrawler. And I, at yeah. that point, I was on the floor. I was like, oh, yeah, it's I'm getting Jawas again, you know. I'm getting the Sandcrawler. Oh, look, they're stealing all of his p- pieces off his spaceship. They got up on blocks. Oh, that's awesome. I was so happy because, again, you didn't have to do that. They didn't have to be there. And you can, you know, not you, but folks can deride it as quote unquote fan service and whatever. I enjoy as a fan being serviced. What can I say? I, I want, yeah. I want things that make this show feel like I'm watching classic Star Wars. And having sand crawlers with Jawas ripping off your spaceship absolutely makes me feel like I'm watching classic Star Wars. Absolutely. It's, to me, it's not fan service if it, if it. Is in service of the story, yeah, and it makes sense within the, within the environment, and it's con- consistency within that universe. We talked about this before on other podcasts. As long as things are consistent within that, within the rules that you've set up, and they actually service and drive the story forward. Yeah, I love that. I love. I actually love the fact that we saw Joe was doing more in terms of taking his ship apart. I think mm-hmm. he probably rebuilt it way too quickly, and I'm yeah. sure <laughs> they lost a lot. Of, lost quite a few parts during the fight, mm-hmm. but. But uh, yeah, because they really stripped it down, and it's like, yeah, there was a lot more parts taken off it than he hauled back. But that's just me being an engineer. <laughs> it should take him a couple uh, of years to put all that back together. Back thinking. together, yeah. And even yeah. then, I wouldn't yeah. trust it in a void, you know, in outer space. I'd be like, eh, no, exactly, right, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, I'm going to be really do one of my geeky nitpicks. Yes, sir. About his about his ship. So his ship has two big rear engines that push a whole bunch of thrust out the back of the back. Yeah. Allegedly, yeah. Yeah. Why didn't it spin? And whenever you see, no, whenever you see it take off, it takes off vertically. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. There are no, and there's no, no, no power unit with a downward that we see. That uh, but why is that two big, big thrusters that push stuff out the back and it takes off vertically? <laughs> I, That's you, just me. <laughs> because <laughs> all all Star Wars ships do that. Yeah, the, the Millennium Falcon yeah. does it. The X wings do it. They all levitate. Yeah, but the M- M- Millennium Falcon has downward. Uh, facing thrusters that you actually do see used. Yeah, so. I, I just yeah. feel like I feel like it's an established convention in in the Star Wars universe that their technology floats. You know, because yeah. there's <laughs> droids that float, there's land speeders that float, there's speeder bikes that float. It's like yeah. they it's like they have those Holtzman fields from Dune. 
Yeah. That, that let everything yeah. anti-gravity, and then they kick the Have engine a, in. Anti-grav plate or something, yeah. Yeah, but. that's kind of my, again, headcanon kind of. But no, yeah, it's, so it's, it's just a, me being a nitpicky engineer. But <laughs> well, I, I just <laughs> wonder how when, the, when those two engines up above and to the sides kick in, the whole thing doesn't spin head over heels. Yeah. Yeah. Don't they need to be leveled off even to balance it out or something? But oh well, we won't. You worry about th- it. Yeah. It's Star Wars. It's a magical universe, not a science universe. It is. We know it this. It is. Yes. Yeah. So as we go along, I just want to hit on a few high points. Um, we we get the uh, we get the whole bit in Episode Three. I believe that's where he gets new armor forged, and we kind of meet the Mandalorian uh, yep. order, the armor, and everything for the first time. And um, he he delivers the child. Let me let's talk about the child for a second. This is like the big phenomenon. Before we continue with three, what do you what what was your reaction when we first saw what was the the the, the target or the prize or whatever they called him? I thought it was a cool twist. I thought it was a neat twist. I had obviously no idea that he'd become what he's become yeah. culturally. And that, it, Jill and I were talking about this the other day because we're just as guilty as anybody else with the baby Yoda <laughs> memes um, around the family. It's like, what is it, a month and a half mm-hmm. Yeah, since let's he see. debuted? I was just looking at the date, November 12th. November 12th. And it's already such a cultural icon. It's crazy part of the social zeitgeist that even people who've never seen this they, I mean at Christmas here in Texas the road signs were referencing Baby Yoda <laughs> the road safety signs on the freeways no way what did it say um, it was it was like oh Baby Yoda uses a car seat belt up <laughs> you, you, you must or something yeah um, oh, that's good but I think that's what started our conversation was like Really, it, that's like four weeks, and already it is so much of a cultural reference mm. touch point. I've never known anything. I can't think of anything that's taken that quickly. Well, you know, it's but, it. We we live in a time now where everything comes and goes so quickly. You know, when we were kids, um, stuff would come and linger around for a while because it took a long time to build up and a long time sure. to settle down. Now everything gets zapped around the world eight million times on the first day, and it's old news the second day. So, as much as its appeal immediately has been, it, the staying power has a, yeah. has surprised me, because I think it's because they, I know that they didn't know he was going to be this popular. And I've said I've said that the I, I said a couple of weeks ago I said the busy the busiest man in the world right now is John Favreau frantically rewriting season two to put more Baby Yoda in it. Because yeah, I mean, well, you re- I mean, there was reports that they weren't even sure they were going to use Baby Yoda. Well, it's not. We'll get into I that know, conversation. I know he's they, Baby they Yoda. Just go with it. Yeah, they were, whether they were going to use him or not, whether they were going to use CGI, whether they were going to use a puppet, whether yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, they weren't even sure right uh, while they were filming it whether they were actually going to the child actually be like that and how they were going to present mm-hmm. it. So yeah. yeah, I think it's just gone beyond anybody's expectations. I, I just imagine Favreau going crap. I got to make him a bigger part of the, I was going to have him leave the show in like episode yeah. one of season two. <laughs> now we got to have the show be about him. So, but um, yeah, it's, I, yeah, my own experience is I enjoy, I like the Mandalorian. I'm baby Yoda's a nice, you know, cherry on top of the Sunday, but 
my wife and my kids, they don't watch the show, but when I'm watching it, I have standing orders that when he comes on the screen and does something cute, I have to pause it, rewind, and call them. That's, <laughs> oh, see, at least Jill watches it with, Jill and I watch it together, so. Uh, <laughs> they have no context for anything he does. They just know, oh, look, it's Baby Yoda doing something Yoda, cute. Something and they, cute, yeah. And they stand there and go, oh, and then they go about their business, and I go back to watching the Mandalorian. <laughs> So yeah, he's he. I think it's it. He he has cross cultural appeal beyond just Star Wars fans, and really Definitely. has really has blown up in a way. I mean, even bigger than Baby Groot. I mean, it's it's kind of yeah. comparable to Baby Groot back in uh, the the was it the end of the first Guardians? Yeah. yeah, yeah, in fourteen. But even bigger than that because we were still we were just really meeting the movie Groot. Whereas Yoda's been in the public con. People already loved Yoda for the last you know thirty nine years right you're right so, so they already had 39 years of thinking he's a great character and then you get a baby version that just does precious little things on the screen all the time yeah well not all the time see so they they've doled him out in in small yeah, they have. batches yeah, I, mean, it, I will say that it, i i hope they don't do, put too much of him in season two because i think just right. just having the, the little pieces um yes and him sometimes doing stuff and sometimes not doing stuff and just i mean I think was it episode four where basically he's just stood there drinking a cup of soup, watching <laughs> stuff go on around him. It's like yeah. awesome, you know. Yeah. Um, and just discovering the world is great. So, yeah. Well, let me see. We 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 got to that one, and we we have grief cargo, which I guess is um is uh, Apollo Creed, right? Uh, Carl Weathers, yeah. And yeah. he's okay. And we get a bunch of other. There's this this show has a huge number of supporting and guest characters. All right, so that's our thoughts on the most titanic pop culture character of latter 2019. And we are joined now, mid-show, awesome, by great friend of the show, longtime co-host with me on this show, Jim Yelton from Midnight Entertainment. Jim, welcome aboard. Hey, guys. How are you? You're good. So, Alan, It's been a while. It has, yeah. So... Alan and I were just talking about the cultural impact of, of the child, or Baby Yoda, as I'm decreeing he shall be called, whether you like it or not. Yes. So, yeah. And we were saying how I said, A, um, there, Favreau has probably been frantically rewriting season two to put more Baby Yoda in it now that he's successful. But B, as Alan was pointing out too, you don't want to have him too much. What are your thoughts on the child and the cultural impact? Well, I, you know, it's weird because it's one of those things where uh, I think it's a, a true sign of where we're at culturally that something like this could take on such a, a, a massive pop culture appeal in what, like two months? Yeah, that's I what mean, we're it's, saying since yeah. November. It, yeah, and it's just crazy how big it's become. I, I don't know that Favreau's like frantically rewriting season two to put more baby Yoda into it because I think he's smart enough to know <laughs> that this was going to be a thing. Like I, I that's why the whole show hmm. is structured around this relationship between Mando and baby Yoda, mm-hmm. because this is what the show's going to be. And, and I think, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day and about how, uh, smart Favreau was in conceptualizing the show. And they said, well, don't discount, you know, what Dave Filoni's brought to it or some of the other people that have been involved. And I said, no, 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 I'm not. 
but they've been trying to do a Star Wars live action show for a while. Mm-hmm. And I think it took John Favreau to have this very specific take mm-hmm. on the kind of story that needed to be told. Yeah, very specific. And, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the, the fact that, I mean, everybody's been talking about all of the kind of Western influence mm-hmm. on the show, but also. You know, the fact that it's very lone wolf and cubbish. Yeah, we just, in, we just mentioned that a second ago. In the right. relationship between uh, the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda. So, uh, you know, I think th- he did this on purpose. And it's going to be interesting to see where they take this Baby Yoda character moving forward. Because, I, you know, as cute as it is and as, as nice as it is when it pops up here and there in an episode... Um, that can get old really quick if that's all you do with it. And there has to be some sort of progression as the show moves forward. Um, You know, uh, like I I pointed out to somebody, it's interesting that they've talked about how this being is 50 years old, but -hmm. it's still a child because, Mm -hmm. you know, Yoda's race is extremely long lived. And, you know, when Yoda died, he was like 800 years old. So, it could be a very childlike character for the entire run of the series. That's true. But they have to do something other than just have it show up and do cutesy things and save the day by using the force every once in a while. Or that just gets stale. Yeah. You know what other characters are you know what other characters are still considered little kids when they're fifty? Hobbits. That's so true. He's yeah, like yeah. The, he's like the Merry and Pippin of the of the Star Wars, <laughs> right? Go ahead. And, and I heard you guys. I heard you guys talking before I popped on about uh, comparing it to Baby Groot, and oh, yeah. and I think that's a very good comparison because the cool thing about Groot in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies is that we're every movie we've basically gotten a different version of Groot. Yeah. So they they didn't stick with the same thing. It, it was a very cool character in the first movie. They set up Baby Groot for Volume Two, which was very cool and led to a lot of comedy between mm. Baby Groot and Rocket mm. and some of the stuff that Baby Groot did. But they knew that they couldn't wrestle on their laurels. So at the end of Volume Two, you got to see Teenage Groot, yeah. and that was the Groot that we kind of had in infinity war mm-hmm. was you know that teenage version of Groot. so uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with baby yoda moving forward <laughs> do we want teenage baby yoda? <laughs> oh god i don't even want to imagine it alan you had a thought go ahead you no i was going to say i think actually thinking over the eight episodes there has been things where you see him learning i mean he he's, he's a very um Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Observant character. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked earlier about him just sitting there with his sort of bowl of soup watching what's going on. But it's been a few occasions where, you know, you've seen him observing and then he, he, he does things or he tries things and it doesn't work. Um, it's usually very subtly. Um, so I think we're going to see some of that. I think, we're, you know, I, I like the fact that, you know, he doesn't come out and he's immediately, you know, strong with the force and everybody going, oh, look, he's a force adept. I mean, nobody's nobody's even used that word yet. Um, which I think is great that, that, you know, people are just, oh, he does the magic thing with his hand. Yeah. Um, cracked me up in the last episode when 
they were like, do the magic thing with a hand, and he just waved at them. Um, that just cracked me up. <laughs> he he force uh, choked somebody, man. That blew my mind. I'm like, see, that's not a yeah, yeah. that's not necessarily yeah, I mean, a. He, he got angry. Yeah, I mean, he got angry and force choked somebody. That's not he, necessarily he, a Sith thing. It's a it's a thing no. you can do with a force. It's just a thing Sith like to do, and Jedi don't like to do. <laughs> But but he's you know he's a baby having a tantrum and he's got mm-hmm. you know he's got anger issues and he was expressing them like any he's small st- child would. He started so, turning. You know, th- yeah, I think there's a lot they can do do with him without him becoming the the angsty teenager. He started turning um, into Kylo Ren. <laughs> <laughs> God. Well, let's see. So uh, um, so Jim, we were we kind of made our way through like the first three and we're talking about how it's cool to see all the stuff, right? I mean. And I wanted to get your take on this as well. I was Alan and I were talking about how, um, you know, some say it's derided as fan service, but I enjoy seeing all these things that tie it more deeply into the Star Wars universe, like the Jawas and the Sandcrawler and the Sand People and all that. What's your thought on? Is it have they had too much, too little? Is it gratuitous? Is it cool? What do you think? No, I, I think it's the exact right amount. And mm-hmm. you know, it's funny because talking to you guys about the Mandalorian tonight is going to dovetail because tomorrow night I'm, I'm doing uh, a first Friday appearance at the St. Louis science center where mm-hmm. they're going to do star Wars night. And we're talking about the, the wrapping up of the Skywalker saga with the, the ninth movie coming out. And one of the things that these newer movies have been derided for is all the fan service and that they've done too much of it. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think the reason that it doesn't work in the newer movies, but it works in something like the Mandalorian is the setting and the time period of the Mandalorian is very close to the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. It's five years after return of the Jedi. So the events of the original trilogy that we all love are still fresh in that world. Mm-hmm. And it's very much that lived in world that we liked from the original trilogy and they're giving us just enough tastes of things that we liked in the original trilogy and at the same time they're layering it with all this new stuff and it all ties in very well together and i think that's something that was missing from some of the big fan service moments in the new trilogy of movies was that it was just fan service for the sake of being fan service. And it wasn't really driving the plot where some of the stuff in the Mandalorian is there specifically to drive plot. And the fact that it's also fan service is just icing on the cake. Yeah. I, I will say, I actually hate that term fan service. Yeah. Um, it, it's re- it's referencing the universe. And, and um, you know, I think, I think the, the, the term fan service has become used as a derogatory thing for any reference, whether it's used well or used badly. Um, and, and when it's used well in terms of the, of the uh, we just talked about this, when it's used well in terms of driving the story forward and it's, put, it's consistent within the rules of that universe, then for me, that's, that's you know, you're just referencing stuff within that, mm-hmm. that storytelling environment. Um, so um, I, won't, I, won't, I won't get on my fan service soapbox tonight. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think we all agree but, about it, which is cool. That's good. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm going to name a couple of we, – we kind of went through one, two, three. Uh, four is neat. We got Cara Dune, and we'll see her again later. But I want to mention five and six specifically here because um, because they both are two of my favorite episodes 
I, I have no idea people like some episodes, hate some episodes. I haven't paid any attention to that. I just loved the whole series start to finish 100%. There were no weak areas. There were no particularly strong areas. I just loved everything about it. I had a little, when we get to the end, I had a few issues with the pacing uh, and the scripting of the last episode, but it's a small, small thing. But I want to name, I want to mention five and six, okay? Chapter five was the gunslinger, chapter six was the prisoner. I particularly enjoyed these two because five bring the gunslinger brings us back to Moss Eisley. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to Tatooine. Oh my gosh, we're going to Moss Eisley. Oh my gosh, we're going to the cantina. It just got and, and interestingly enough, there was like a droid running the cantina when they used to wouldn't even let droids in there. So there have been some kind of civil rights movement on Tatooine apparently with droids, which is interesting. So we <laughs> so we got all of that plus that episode had the other bounty hunter, the pretty boy. And they go after, um, I believe this is one where they go after Ming-Na Wen, who I adore. Yeah. And yep. she's like the super deadly uh, assassin, you know, bounty hunter. Everything about that I loved. And then, and you get that, you get the great extended sequence out in the desert with them being pinned down. I loved every bit of that. Classic Western, as you say. And then number six turned into kind of like a heist operation, like Ocean's Eleven in space. And I, I loved every bit of that. So let me, let me ask you first, Alan... The gunslinger and the prisoner, as we kind of work our way toward the end of the series, what did you, did anything positive or negative jump at you about these two? Um, I actually enjoyed um, them both. Uh, it's interesting, I did actually look at some of the, uh, the ratings, reports and the ratings. These were actually the two lowest. Number five is, <laughs> is the least liked. Oh, God. I've got the lowest rating of any. But, well, um, they can but it's only like a, a, little, a little dip. Um, I, I loved it. Chapter five to me is the chips episode. Somebody put a video up of the, 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 the two of them on the bikes riding through the desert to the chips theme tune. Uh, I cannot get that out. Go look, go look it up on YouTube. Oh, it's great. It's the no. chips opening titles of the two of them on the speeder bikes going oh, through the desert. Boy. It's I, awesome. I can visualize um, so th- it. It's the chips episode for me. Um, I like. I I did like it. Um, I thought it was a bit as number. It was a bit slow to start with. Um, I actually really liked Amy Sedaris as the uh, yes the ship's mechanic. I thought she was great with her I droids. The, uh, yeah, they were great. Yeah, don't and don't don't let the droids. You know, I'm not letting the droids touch my ship. And then uh, <laughs> later on, the droids hiding in the control room and stuff. I thought that that was that there was some good there was some good nice light comedy there. Yeah. Um, I must admit the bit in the desert. You know, the again very western. You know, you have to negotiate with the natives to be able to get through their land, so you can go mm-hmm. shoot them. And you, you know, uh, yeah, it's all straight straight out of the western playbook. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and again, we got the interesting thing at the end where you know somebody comes and picks up, uh, what's the other bounty hunter? Shan picks up her apparent body. You know, somebody. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that's probably setting something up for season two. Or at least I hope because she hasn't reappeared yet. So. Mm-hmm. Um, that's good. Um, so yeah, I quite enjoyed it. it. Again, good classic Western stuff. Um, the prisoner, I, I thought it went on a little too much. I thought in the middle, um, but I did like the end where basically he just turns up and takes the money and runs. I thought that was, um, can, Alan, can I tell you, I want to get your thought on this in particular. I meant to ask you at the, be- I yeah. meant to mention this at the beginning, this episode, the prisoner didn't just feel like a heist to me. It felt very much somehow like a doctor who episode. What? Because all the running down corridors. I, I, I that, yeah, I think it's I think it's strange made up characters yeah. running around corridors. Yeah, I think that probably is it. Yeah, um, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Okay. Uh, um, I was wondering how it's just yeah, crazy. Okay. 
No, no, I can see that. It's sort of a Tom Baker era Doctor Who episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, this one to me just didn't, maybe because it, it wasn't necessarily the, that the Western feel. It just seemed out of place with the other um, seven episodes. This one to me tonally. It did. It doesn't quite fit. Doesn't quite fit. So, um, <sighs> but I, I assume again, the, the, the characters that were left alive. I did like the thing that you, you think he's killed them all. And then at the end, you get the reveal that they're actually just, well, you know. Um, just in, still in in the jail, so I, I sort of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't quite sure about the the X wings at the end. That just seemed a bit. That seemed a bit like gratuitous fan service. Was yeah. the three X wings coming in at the end? I'll allow um, it. <laughs> for me, this was probably my weakest episode of the one because, as we said right at the start, for me, the whole point about the Mandalorian was it's a Western series. I mean. I haven't been this excited about a Western since probably uh, have got Paladin, Have Gun, Will Travel. You know, uh, this, this is what it reminds me of. It reminds me of that great Western yes. series, uh, Paladin. Yeah, yeah, I've got the DVDs so. of that. And, I, and Jim, before I get your impressions on these, I will point out, I just realized, I didn't realize it until now, these are the only two episodes of the entire season that were not written by John Favreau. The Gunslinger was written by Filoni, and uh, The Prisoner was written by Christopher Yost. Although, if it had been a Doctor Who writer, I wouldn't have been surprised. <laughs> Jim, what do you think about the What do you think about the Gunslinger and the Prisoner? You know what I thought was really cool going into the Gunslinger was uh, I was really worried that this was going to be a very serialized story uh, throughout the season, mm-hmm. and the reason I was worried about it was because um, after like the third episode i thought okay if if this whole season is going to be nothing but him trying to deal with this baby yoda thing um i don't know that that's enough to sustain eight episodes Mm. and i i don't know if you guys touched on this at the beginning but i really feel like uh we've kind of figured out what the sweet spot is for doing really good television and that is uh, shorter seasons of like anywhere between eight and 13 episodes. Yep. And this yep. is the, the perfect uh, example of that because you do get a, a serialized story that has a beginning, middle and an end in the season. And there's a good arc to it, but it also allows just enough time for you to slide in these story of the week episodes, like, like the gunslinger and the prisoner to where you kind of can build out the universe. You can bring in some new characters and it's not so focused on the season long arc and it gives you kind of a breather. And that's kind of what I looked at. And, you know, I agree with both of you. The gunslinger was great uh, because it's, it distilled like the Westernness of this show into one episode. And we got, you know, everything that's great about the Western motif from the, the sweeping vistas of the desert and the, the plot of them trying to track down this assassin. And it, you know, I, I loved having the, the, the trope of the young gunslinger and the old gunslinger working together and, you know, how that was going to play out was interesting. I, I just thought it was great. Uh, and, and everything that I've loved about Westerns was all in that one episode and and i agree with alan I mean, seeing amy sedaris in the show was just amazing to me yes and it's it, they've done such a good job of bringing in people like that that you wouldn't expect and every single guest star that worked on the show i felt like they knocked it out of the park 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was so good. I mean, even you know somebody like Nick Nolte, who's just doing a voice performance, was really good with the role that they gave him. Mm-hmm. And you know, yeah. to me that that carried over to the the prisoner too, because uh, you know, Van, you you know, you and I are just heist movie and and yeah, you know that that that's our wheelhouse mm-hmm. and when i saw what the plot of this episode was uh i thought this is great like i can't can't wait to see the the character of the mandalorian in this sort of a setting it it was just different enough Mm -hmm. to be a a good change of pace and a a good palate cleanser before you went into the final two episodes of the season yeah because i i knew that those two episodes were going to be hardcore season-long story arc episodes and so it was cool to kind of just pump the brakes a little bit have this little side adventure you found out a little bit more about the character so it wasn't just you know kind of a filler episode i mean they did use it to a good result because you found out this guy does have a code he's mm-hmm. he's only going to do things if it makes sense to do them and he's not just going to kill people for the sake of killing them and i think they really needed to hit that button one more time before they went into the final two episodes so that you knew what his code was and what this guy well, was about you raise a good point there and let me let me derail us over to that for just a second before we talk about the final two episodes and kind of wrap things up we haven't we've talked about baby yoda we talked about the universe, but we haven't really talked about Mando. So I want to go around the horn and get your impressions of this character. If I mean, he's he's an I'll just say this up front: he's an interesting character in that he's so enigmatic and inscrutable. And having that helmet on does two things: one, it makes me excited because I love Boba Fett, and it's as close as I'm going to get. Right? So, yeah, I get that. And he's he's the he's the man with no face. You know, he's not just the man with no name; he's the man with no face. And so he really is like that Clint Eastwood Man with No Name character, even even beyond that. But also, um, he's kind of like I said before, he's kind of a blank slate that we can we can slowly slowly learn things about him. I mean, you know, you don't really learn your you, the, the first thing you learn about him is he's a bounty hunter. Okay, and by the end of the first episode, you're starting to realize another a second thing about him, which is that he's not going to hand over Baby Yoda. He's going to actually you know, try to get him back or whatever. And so, you know, we're two episodes in and we know two things about him. And it's it's very, it just trickles, they just trickle characterization at us really through his actions. So, Alan, what what do you make of this character and, and of the very slow and deliberate revelations about him so far? I love it. I love the fact that basically at the end of every episode, we know a little bit more about him. They've layered on a bit more around his moral code, but mm-hmm. also his background. You know, once once you, we sort of get to the end and we know his, you know, his backstory as a foundling, it sort of makes his reaction to finding Baby Yoda at the end of episode one. You sort of understand that a bit more. So I think each time that they've sort of revealed something... And then you think back to the previous episode, you start to understand his motivations and his processes a little bit more. I think there's still a long way to go. Um, I mean, it was very, you know, interesting at the beginning. I always thought, you know, well, this is a guy who is a bounty hunter and has obviously been, you know, um, doing this for a while. You know, he's, you know, the best of what he does. He's, he's a top bounty hunter. But, you know, as it comes out, we actually find out he's, he's, he's actually pretty inexperienced. You know, he hasn't 
he hasn't got his sigil. He, you know, he's not not a good enough Mandalorian to get a jetpack yet until you know, um, right at the end. So, yeah. <laughs> it, it it's interesting. I think you you start off with that preconception that you know this is an experienced grizzled bounty hunter, and actually by the end of it, we find out that actually he's 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 pretty much, for one of a better word, an innocent within mm-hmm. the world that he operates in, and and he's finding his own way in in a parallel ways that sort of baby Yoda is that they're, they're pretty mm-hmm. much fi- finding out, you know, their place in the world together. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I think he's it, the way they've done it. I, I love the fact that we're just getting these gradual reveals as opposed to what we tend to get these days, which is, you know, the, the first episode origin story with a huge exposition info dump and here's all the backstory and blah, blah, blah. Sure. This, this, it's, it's the, this is the right way to tell story is, is we learn things through the characters actions and the consequences of his actions, both, on himself and the people around him. So yeah, I, I, I love just so many things to love about this show, and that's that's one of them is just the way that they gradually revealed the various layers of, of this character. So yeah, that, is, that I, is. I I I liked him well enough that Jill got me a Mandalorian T-shirt for Christmas. So <laughs> uh, I will be proud to be walking around with Mando on my chest this year. Very good. It it made me so excited. By the way, that I got. I said, I've already got my Boba Fett T-shirt. I've got my Boba Fett statue on my wish list, and I ordered my Boba Fett hoodie from one of those Chinese pirate organizations that makes unlicensed, <laughs> fully licensed um, uh, properties. Yeah, so yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward. Yeah. All the stuff, I'm, it's funny, I love the Mandalorian so much, and yet I keep getting Boba Fett stuff because of it. But that's just me. I'm just quirky that way. Jim, your thoughts on Mando? Yeah, the, the interesting thing to me is that, you know, like you guys pointed out, they they set you up with these expectations of who the character is based on what we as fans know about the universe and the the Mandalorians. But the the cool thing is, the more and more you find out about him, the more questions you have. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's, it's easy to say, oh, well, he's a great bounty hunter and he's one of the best he is at what he does. And, you know, he has the shady past, but then when you see well he's an outcast with the rest of the mandalorians like they begrudgingly work Mm. with him and like you know the conversations that he has in in the couple of exchanges with the armorer are very telling Mm. and it's it's almost like you know something had to have happened in the past that made him an outcast from the rest of the mandalorians and what was that and you know, there's there's so much that they're setting up for later on down the road, and there's not a, a real need for us to know that now because of the way that they're telling the story. I mean, like Alan said, you know, this this is a complete antithesis to the way modern storytelling's done, where they do like a, a huge info dump in one scene to tell you everything you need to know about the character. To, to set up the series in episode one. And, and the other thing I thought was interesting was that through him, our perception and our knowledge of the Mandalorians as a people has kind of changed too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the idea that they're not really a race, you know, it's a creed and that you can become a Mandalorian mm-hmm just by starting to walk down the path and taking the creed and, and living life the way the Mandalorians do. If they take you in and, and bestow the honor on you, then you are forever a Mandalorian. And, and I kind of liked that because it opens up 
a, a number of story possibilities. And it also makes you question what we know about other people like your favorite character, Boba Fett. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Because then you start to think to yourself, well, Boba Fett had Mandalorian armor, but was he really Mandalorian? Right. Yeah. I mean, Django was Mandalorian, but because Boba Fett's a clone of Django, that doesn't necessarily mean he's Mandalorian. So, you know, it, it presents a lot of possibilities within the character. And and that's what I loved was knowing that this series hinges on this one character. It's not an ensemble piece, even though he ends up in situations where he has to work with a number of different characters. This series is very much about him. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they did such a great job of revealing just enough to keep you interested in the story, but not too much, it's just perfect. Yeah. No, I agree. Well, gentlemen, that gets us to our big finale, Chapter 7 and 8, The Reckoning and Redemption. And then we can see if there's any other little tidbits we want to throw in as we wrap up. So they really did, as you, you made a good point, Jim, that they kind of they gave us a couple episodes there of breathing space. And then we get 7 and 8, which is really just one big, you know, two hour, almost two hour long. The episodes all varied in time, but this is a big finale. And... Um, we, you know, I didn't realize until now that the, even the creatures that attacked them at the campfire were Minox. The same yeah. things that were attacking yeah. them yeah. on the uh, Han Solo and Leia on the... They just... Everything was from another... <laughs> that's amazing. So anyway, um, so we go full circle back to take... To try to use the child as bait, right? To try to, to, try to take out the client and all of that. So... Uh, Jim, why don't you lead us off talking about what what was your reaction to the series finale? To well, you know, I I said earlier that uh, you and I both love heist movies and and heist stories, and and the other thing that I know about the two of us is that we have the shared love of like men on a mission yeah, stories, absolutely, and that's what this was. It was very much a we have to go in to a, a fortress that's guarded by you know uh, uh, more stormtroopers than we want to count yeah. um, the 501st and, and and you have to do it with a group of people that you don't trust so what do you do you go get some people that you do trust mm-hmm. to watch your back and and i loved th- how he kind of cobbled together this group from characters that appeared in the earlier episodes Mm -hmm. so that he could go try and put a stop to what the client was trying to do and, and end it once and for all. And it it made perfect sense to me. Uh, I loved how, even though uh, Carl Weathers ended up initially trying to double cross him, you know, he, he ended up joining forces with him and there, there were lots of, faints and double faints throughout the story uh so you really couldn't tell for certain where all the characters stood um you know including ig11 which was great um it it was just a very well done story even though it's the kind of story that we've seen told Mm -hmm. in in other ways uh and and i loved how they set up everything for that final episode yeah yeah, they did really bring things all back around, in, including the characters. I agree. Um, Alan, your your kind of overview of the big finale. Um, yeah, I, I, 
I sort of liked it, as uh, Jim said, you know, it's really, again, just hitting all the marks of, of the, the classic tropes of, uh, you know, pulling the uh, pulling the, the, the various outlaws together to go meet the big bad and, you know, de- get the final come up. And, you know, I was hoping the Amy Sedaris character would be actually one of the ones that he went and got back. Yeah. I'm not quite sure how she would have fit in, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, it, that was fun seeing him go go collect his his unwilling accomplices. Um, I think that that was cool. Um, again, some great Western stuff. You know, the thing with the, with the cannon um, and stuff was fun. Um, the, the 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 IG eleven uh, on the speeder bike um, with oh, yeah. Baby Yoda on the front was uh, you know <laughs> was really cool. Uh, um, I don't know if you if if you read. Um, Cosmic Ghost Rider, but that was like right out of Cosmic Ghost Rider, where he rides around the universe with Baby Thanos on the handlebars. Um, <laughs> oh gosh, no! But now I've got to. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, Cosmic Ghost Rider by Don- Donny Cates. Highly recommend it. Wow. Um, so yeah, it, it was that um, again. It was also a bit of Terminator Two, I, and it was just so many references. It, it was just oh, yeah. really enjoyable. Both of them. Um, we, you know, we talked earlier about you know the fact that it was another R two unit came up again, not necessarily fan service because it worked within the context of the story um i also like the fact that we got a bit of background about the other characters too where they came from um raise more questions i will actually go back to one question you made about the helmet never coming off i wish they hadn't shown his face in in episode eight yeah i was torn about that why, why I, do you I, feel I think it? i think i think it should be like judge dread because they make such a thing about the fact that the helmet never comes off even when he was you know mm-hmm. people were making romantic moves on him and stuff no the helmet stays on um so you know um and i, I know it was it, it was a droid uh, so it wasn't a living thing but we could see his face i wish they'd sort of shown the droid start to lift the helmet and then cut away and then the two of them appeared in the tunnel and he was back in his helmet it was just a personal thing it was like i, I just think they down, uh, they, they sort of broke a bit of the mythos there by actually showing us his face. Um, right. Yeah, okay. I don't um, disagree. I, you know, in fact, I that was the one. It wasn't that specific thing, but that that involves the one real problem that I kind of did have with this episode, which was that I felt like when they took the helmet off, I kind of reverse engineered the whole scene instantaneously in my head, and I said, "Okay, they manipulated everything so that it would just be him and the droid, so he could do yeah. it." And I felt like, yeah, you know, I, at that point, a lot of the things that hadn't made sense, they still, right before that, they still didn't make make any sense, but I understood why they had done it. And, and that would always, as Jim well knows, right, from other movies we've talked about, that's one thing that drives me crazy in a story is where you can see the writer saying, I need this to happen. So I'm going to make this right. illogical thing happen, and that happened. That yeah, me. yeah. Well, yeah. And, and like Alan said, I mean, it. I think they could have pulled that moment off, and if they had just shot it in a way to where the audience didn't see his face. Right. I mean, they could have shot it from behind or something. So, right. Yeah, and but, yeah. and I I even made a comment to somebody after just seeing the first episode where I said they could do this for ten years and. If they never show me his face, I'll be happy because that shows a commitment to making sure that story-wise, you don't break that promise to the audience. Right. Yeah, that's that's a good way of putting it. I think it broke that promise at that point. And and I, I don't think it's necessarily something that they couldn't ever do, but doing it in the first season just seemed like, you know, why? 
Like that's very much a thing that you do in a series finale, not a season finale. Mm. But did they know when they did that, that that was going to be, they were going to get the go ahead on a season two. I, yeah. I mean, I don't know what the, the timing of that, but even so, even I, I, I think it would have just kept the mystery anyway, even if the, yeah. If this had just been those eight episodes, it, it, I think you're right. It sort of just betrayed that promise that they set up and reinforced all the way through the other the other episodes. Uh-huh. But having said that, I, yeah. I really enjoyed it, um, and I've actually just looked up what a dark saber is because I was like, I had no clue. When the, guy, the guy at the end <laughs> pulls his, uh, you know, cuts his way out of the tie fighter with a with a you know a a dark lightsaber. I was like, oh. What, what is that? But apparently it's a Mandalorian artifact um, from the Expanded Universe novels. So, right. two, two things that that brings to mind. One is every time he talked about not taking his helmet off, I kept thinking about Burt Reynolds, the bandit, saying he only took his hat off for one thing. And I kept waiting for him and, <laughs> him and Dune to get together and him take the helmet off and be like, play some, this they call him Mandalorian, you know, in the background. Um, the, other, the other thing that came to my mind was, Am I the only one that when uh, Moth Gus showed up, I was like, "Oh, was somebody running a meth operation on <laughs> on this planet?" And 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 Moth Grand Moth Gus is here to to uh, crack down because I just see Gus Fring every time I see um, what's his name there that that actor. It's it's hard not to. I know. I mean, that's that's the thing is that. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito has been ruined yes. <laughs> by Breaking Bad. Because, I mean, yeah. it's it's one of those. And see, what's funny is, uh, you know, I've seen him in a ton of stuff before Breaking Bad. Mm. But, you know, it, Breaking Bad and him playing Gus Fring is just one of those characters that will forever define an actor. Sure. And, you know, I know that's one of the reasons why he got cast in, in The Mandalorian. <laughs> but it still doesn't change the fact that like you said, you just think of Gus Fring when you see him. I know. I wanted him to say, I've come to destroy you all, but first, would you like some lovely chicken? <laughs> I, I, I dos, what is it? Dos uh, Hermanos chicken here. I, I know. I mean, he's, um, he is great though, because he's, he, he's able to do that menacing, uh, thing and yet still not, and still seem kind of weird at the same time. But no, I didn't know what a dark saber was. That must be something out of like the comics or the novels or something. It was out of the novels. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I actually, I think it's, it's first appearance was in one of the animated shows. Okay. Was it now? Uh, I, and, and I think that's why it didn't surprise me when I saw it, because I, I don't remember which one it is, if it's, if it's, uh, rebels or clone wars, but uh, I think that's a Dave Filoni creation. Okay. Well, that would make sense. And because he, he did such a great job, especially in rebels of expanding the, the backstory and mythology surrounding the Mandalorians. And, I I know that it's very much attached to the Mandalorian backstory, and it just seemed like one of those things where, as they were developing the show, that he probably kept dropping hints to Favreau, like, "Hey, this is we need to have a dark saber show up. We, <laughs> the dark saber needs to show up because it's literally like the the, the Excalibur of of yeah. sabers." And right. so, you know, we have to have this thing show up and we have to make it a part of the show so people go crazy. And and there's one important thing, too. This is I, like, you know, some of my listeners know 
I'm a, I've always been a big Warhammer 40,000 fan and Horus Heresy. And, you know, you, you get like the big Horus Heresy books where it's like Star Wars. You have the Empire and you have the giant armies and planets destroyed and all that. You have those. But you've also got like Dan, Dan Abnett's Gaunt's Ghost series where, where everything is down at like the the trooper level and you you know the the biggest you know like in a gaunt's ghost book the biggest most powerful enemy they could face might be one single chaos marine you know just one soldier whereas you know in like one of the bigger stories he would be just a a, a footnote as they fight gods and monsters and demons and stuff but in a gaunt's ghost story he's he's like godzilla you know well, that's how it is in this story. That's one of the things I like. You know, if Darth Vader showed up in the Mandalorian show, he would just wipe up the 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 mat with everybody. But but uh, but Giancarlo Esposito is just powerful enough to be a real danger to everybody there, and yet you still get the sense that you know he's he's flying in a regular Tie Fighter. He doesn't have armor exactly, and you know I mean you know what I mean. He's like he's like the he's a big bad for this level of show. Right, oh, exactly. Yeah, that's what you need. You don't need the galactic threat or the empire level threat. You you need the local. He's the guy. he's the corrupt well, sheriff. He's not the emperor. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the thing is, you know, one of the things about Star Wars and the kind of the mythology of it is there can only be one emperor. Yeah. And and if the emperor's out of the picture, then any other villain that you use as a substitute is going to be lesser than. And, you know, the, the thing I thought about this character was he, you know, when they referred to him as Moth, I was like, okay, now I know what his rank is in the Empire. And, you know, he's probably one of these guys that's trying to hold on to whatever power he still has post-Return of the Jedi. And this is probably one of his plans you know he's going to use baby yoda for something we don't know what it is but he's using it for something but he's clearly even though he has a dark saber and even though he does very evil things this dude is not darth vader right you know he didn't use he didn't use force powers at all during this episode so it's not like he's a sith lord Mm -hmm. he's just a bad guy and, and, and like you said, I mean, that's one of the things is it, it works for this level of story that you're trying to tell. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, last thing for me, and then I'll let you guys have your last two shots. I love how every episode closes with, I, it's, it's, if it's not the storyboard art, it's incredible art they just did, apparently. It looks like conceptual art, and it's even yeah. slightly animated. Yeah. And I'm desperate for the book. I want the big coffee table size, glossy, slick book of all the art from the closing credits of all of the Mandalorian. Because that would give us eight times probably, there's probably, what, seven or eight pictures in every episode. So that give us like 60-something. I'm, I'm all over it. I'm going to buy that. So I really enjoyed that. Um, Jim, tell us uh, your, your final thoughts about the show. Anything you particularly otherwise enjoy about it you haven't mentioned? Uh, before I do that, I, I want to piggyback on what you just said, because mm-hmm. the, the, the my first thought when I saw those conceptual art pieces or whatever they're calling them um, it, over the closing credits of the first episode was it. I know they weren't Sid Mead's, mm-hmm. but 
they had that feel yeah. of, of the Sid Mead conceptual artwork that we all have seen from the original trilogy. And mm-hmm. and then the know, Macquarie it, stuff it, after that, yeah. Kind of, yeah, and yeah. The, and the Macquarie stuff for you know the posters and then all the stuff that he did, um, and and especially uh, the original conceptual artwork for A New Hope. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it had that feel to it, and so I I was just blown away by that. And I agree with you when they come out with the art book, we're all going to buy it because <laughs> it's just crazy good. Um, my final thought on this, um, I, I'm intrigued by where it's going to go because uh, where they left things at the end of these eight episodes was uh, not that they can't bring characters back, obviously, but he it, it felt very much like they were closing a chapter mm-hmm. and, and moving on to another chapter for season two. And just kind of how they wrap things up with the surviving characters and basically uh having the mandalorian go off alone with baby yoda it's it's almost like i would be perfectly fine with them running across a a whole new group of characters in a whole other adventure for season two and them not revisiting anything from this first season um and yet there were things that they clearly set up to have characters return, like having all of the the survivors from the prisoner end up in a prison cell together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things like that. Uh, and the, is it Boba Fett or is it not Boba Fett ending to uh, the gunslinger? You know, there's clearly breadcrumbs that they've left out there uh, to pick up in season two. And it's just, the, the thing for me though, uh, is just how amazing this concept is and the the work that favreau has done uh i i kind of mention it and, and van this will be very similar to conversations we've had about the mcu where people give kevin feige a bunch of credit when there's a ton of other people that have contributed to the awesomeness of the marvel cinematic universe i get it you know Bryce Dallas Howard and Deborah Chow and, and Filoni and, and all of the people that directed episodes of this show and Christopher Yost and Filoni and Favreau and all the people in the writer's room, you know, this was a group effort, but John Favreau had a clear vision of what he wanted this show to be. And he did something that Lucasfilm has been trying to do for years unsuccessfully and create a live action Star Wars show that works and has the spirit of the original trilogy. And and to me, that's a, a crazy, amazing accomplishment. Yeah. And and let me just say, you mentioned Boba Fett. It, wouldn't it be cool if they did have... I, just, I Jeremy Bullock is 74. I just looked it up. I wish that they could have Boba Fett appear in season two and it be like without his take his helmet off and it's Jeremy Bullock, but he's 74. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't make sense. But I just wish that they could somehow have go back in time and have Jeremy Bullock show up as Boba Fett. That would be so cool. Anyway, Alan, your, uh, your final thoughts on this great show. Um, yeah, I think Jim pretty much put it together that, uh, you know, I think this is the show that we never thought we'd get. Um, uh, and it works so well. I mean, it works so well because it is, I think, set so close to the original trilogy. Um, it, it's it's familiar yet new uh, in interesting ways. 
Um, like I said, as a big fan of Westerns, I just love the fact that I think this is, you know, one of the, the best Western TV show we've had a long time, as well as the best, you know, um, one of the best science fiction. Well, it's not really science fiction, science magic, whatever you want to call it. Shows. <laughs> yeah. um, it that really, really sort of resonates with that original spirit of Star Wars that we that we all love from the from the original trilogy. So um, I think it's great. I think season two, I, as much as I love Westerns, I'm thinking that probably the best thing for them to do is figure out another genre trope to go along. <laughs> uh, maybe it'll be the Quest movie. I don't know. Um, so they, they don't end up repeating the same thing and they don't, they don't end up mining back to the same thing. So they've obviously set things up for season two. Um, I'm just hoping they, they go in a slightly different storytelling direction. And by the way, third, I, I will give a third vote for the book for the uh, end credit artwork. It is beautiful. Um, yeah, we got to have that, surely. Yeah. Disney's yeah. not going to leave money on the table. We know if we know one thing about Disney, they know how to <laughs> squeeze our money out of us. So let's so, have uh, that book. I bet yeah. they I bet they put it out like a month before the second season starts. Yeah, probably. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. So or around Christmas next year, but whatever. It was uh, th- those are beautiful and and great to see. It's it's nice to actually see a TV show that uh, put some effort into the into the credits and the end credit sequence you know that used to be a great art form and that has been completely lost on tv and it's great to to see a tv show paying some attention to that part of the experience that's true also you know van yeah van you 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 mentioned that you you have a feeling the book's going to come out you know a month before season two how genius of it was it for disney to announce that season two was coming out in the fall of 2020, you know, shortly after season one wrapped up. Yeah. Like they could have waited and just kind of ridden on the success of this for a while and then said, Oh, here comes season two. But they knew they were already making it. They knew that they're shooting it now. I mean, why not come out and let the fans know, Hey, you don't have to wait. Yeah. Two years for this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and interestingly enough, um, We'll also going about the same time that that comes along. We'll also be getting apparently uh, the Vision, uh, WandaVision, the Vision and Scarlet Witch TV show because they've moved it up from twenty twenty two to from twenty twenty one to twenty twenty. So fall of this coming this year, we're entering into now twenty twenty. There's going to be at least two big shows that you couldn't you know force me not to watch on on Disney Plus. So just keep taking. Well, they're not, they're not taking my money now, but they will be by then. The year, the trial year will run out. So they're going to start getting my uh, money. Exactly. I was going to say that's also perfectly time for the 10 million people who signed up on yeah. day one need to renew their first year subscription. So. I have no problem with that. No problem with that. So, all right, gentlemen. Well, I appreciate uh, getting to spend an hour or so talking about a really really cool TV show that apparently we all uniformly love, and uh, that's a good thing. I mean, that's a cool thing it's it's nice to have something that pretty much appeals to everybody and uh and i said jim even my uh my wife and daughters d- demand i pause the show and, and call them down whenever baby yoda does anything especially cute so <laughs> does, i hadn't asked you that does your uh does your family also appreciate the the wonder of well, the baby yoda? Uh, yeah i mean my my older daughter does my my younger one is not so much about star wars but uh the the funny thing you know you said your your family makes you pause it and so they can all come down and watch but uh i was talking to my mom who (laughs) told me the other day that she loves the show um partially because of baby yoda and you know so it was just funny because you know it, it hadn't occurred to me i mean my mom likes star wars i mean she's one of the 
the people that took me to see it 35 times in the summer of 77. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it just didn't dawn on me that my mother of all people would have intentionally started watching it on Disney plus and you know she she sent me a text message the other day and she said are you watching this it's amazing that baby Yoda's so cute and so <laughs> it 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 definitely is reaching a wide span of yes. generations with this show it absolutely is <clears throat> all right so the Mandalorian and the baby Yoda show I think is pretty much what we're down to now so gentlemen I appreciate it again you guys take it easy and the white rocket's gonna get out of here for another week and we'll see you guys down the road This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.